Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each week, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. This week, a German retiree solved a long-standing mathematical problem, but almost no one noticed. As Thomas Royan was brushing his teeth on the morning of July 17, 2014, the proof of a famous mathematical conjecture suddenly popped into his head. Experts had been trying for decades to prove the conjecture, which sits at the intersection of geometry, probability theory, and statistics. The Gaussian Correlation Inequality, or GCI, originated in the 1950s. It was posed in its most elegant form in 1972 and has captivated mathematicians ever since. Donald Richards, a statistician at Penn State, says he knows of people who've worked on the inequality for 40 years. He himself has worked on it for 30. Royan, a little-known retired German statistician, hadn't given the GCI much thought before the raw idea for how to prove it came to him over the bathroom sink. Royan originally worked for a pharmaceutical company. In 1985, he moved on to a small technical university in Bingen, Germany, to have more time to improve the formulas that industry statisticians used to make sense of drug trial data. In July of 2014, he was still working on his formulas as a 67-year-old retiree. Royan found that the GCI could be extended into a statement about the statistical distributions he had specialized in. Through a translator, Royan says on the morning of the 17th, he suddenly saw how to calculate a key derivative for this extended GCI that unlocked the proof. I had the idea. It came through my work on the multivariate chi-squares and multivariate gamma distributions, which I worked on quite a lot. And from this angle, I had the idea in the early morning. The main step was how I could prove it, which came pretty suddenly. And in the evening, I already knew that, yes, this all works, and the proof was actually already roughly finished. Not knowing LaTeX, the word processor of choice in mathematics, he typed up his calculations in Microsoft Word. The following month, he posted his paper to the academic preprint site archive.org. He also sent the paper to Richards, who had briefly circulated his own failed attempt at a proof of the GCI a year and a half earlier. Richards says when he looked at the proof, he knew instantly that it was solved. And he says he kicked himself for not realizing the answer sooner. Over the decades, he and other experts had been attacking the GCI with increasingly sophisticated mathematical methods. They were certain that bold new ideas in convex geometry, probability theory, or analysis would be needed to prove it. Some mathematicians, after years of working in vain, had come to suspect the inequality was actually false. In the end, though, Royan's proof was short and simple, filling just a few pages and using only classic techniques. Richards was shocked that he and everyone else had missed it. He says seeing the proof was a relief, adding with a laugh that he was glad to have seen it before he died. Richards told a few colleagues about the proof and even helped Royan retype his paper in latex to make it appear more professional. But other experts they contacted seemed dismissive of Royan's dramatic claim. False proofs of the GCI had surfaced repeatedly over the decades, including two that had appeared on archive.org since 2010. 
Boaz Klartag of the Weizmann Institute of Science and Tel Aviv University recalls receiving those two false proofs, along with Royan's correct one, in an email from a colleague in 2015. When he checked one of the papers and found a mistake, he set aside the others for lack of time. That's one reason Royan's achievement went unrecognized. Proofs with obscure origins are sometimes overlooked at first, but usually not for long. Experts say a major paper like Royan's would normally get submitted and published somewhere like the Annals of Statistics. Then everybody would hear about it. But Royan, not having a career to advance, chose to skip the slow and often demanding peer review process typical of top journals. He opted instead for quick publication in the Far East Journal of Theoretical Statistics, a periodical based in India. It was largely unknown to experts, and on its website, rather suspiciously listed Royan as an editor. He had agreed to join the editorial board the year before. With this red flag, the proof continued to be ignored. Finally, in December of 2015, two Polish mathematicians put out a paper advertising Royan's proof, reorganizing it in a way some people found easier to follow. Word finally started spreading to the wider scientific community though some experts are still only hearing about the proof now. No one is quite sure how, in the 21st century, news of Royan's proof managed to travel so slowly. Klartag says it was clearly a lack of communication in an age when it's very easy to communicate. But he adds the proof has been found, and it's beautiful. In its most famous form, posed in 1972, the GCI links probability and geometry, It places a lower limit on a player's odds in a game of darts, including hypothetical dart games in higher dimensions. Let me explain. Imagine two convex polygons, like a rectangle and a circle, both centered on a point that serves as the target. Darts thrown at the target will land in a bell curve or Gaussian distribution of positions around the center point. The GCI says the probability that a dart will land inside both the rectangle and the circle is always as high as, or higher than, the individual probability of its landing inside the rectangle multiplied by the individual probability of its landing in the circle. In plainer terms, because the two shapes overlap, striking one increases your chances of also striking the other. The same inequality was thought to hold for any two convex symmetrical shapes with any number of dimensions centered on a point. Special cases of the GCI have been proved. In 1977, for instance, Lauren Pitt of the University of Virginia established it is true for two-dimensional convex shapes. But the general case eluded all mathematicians who tried to prove it. Pitt had been trying since 1973, when he first heard about the inequality over lunch with colleagues in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Being an arrogant young mathematician, well, I heard about this at lunch at this meeting, and I was shocked that grown men who were putting themselves off as respectable math and science people didn't know the answer to this. And uh, I went back to my motel room and confidently expected to be uh, knowing the answer of whether or not this conjecture was true before I returned from my trip to the motel room. And uh, 50 years or so later, 
I still didn't know the answer to this. Despite hundreds of pages of calculations leading nowhere, Pitt and other mathematicians felt certain that the convex geometry framing of the GCI would lead to the general proof. They took Pitt's 2D proof as evidence. I had developed a conceptual way of thinking about this that, uh, I don't know, perhaps I was overly wedded to, but in any case, I did uh, believe I knew the way the proof was supposed to go. And I had invested a lot of time and energy on this idea, and what Royan did was kind of diametrically opposed to what I had in mind. Royan's proof harkened back to his roots in the pharmaceutical industry and to the obscure origin of the GCI itself. Before it was a statement about convex symmetrical shapes, the GCI was conjectured in 1959 by the American statistician Olive Dunn as a formula for calculating simultaneous confidence intervals, or ranges in which multiple variables are estimated to fall. Suppose you want to estimate the weight and height ranges that 95% of a given population fall in based on a sample of measurements. If you plot people's weights and heights on an XY plot, the weights will form a Gaussian bell curve distribution along the X-axis. Heights will form a bell curve along the Y-axis. Together, they follow a two-dimensional bell curve. You can then ask, what are the specific weight and height ranges such that 95% of the population will fall inside the rectangle formed by these ranges? If weight and height were independent, you could just calculate the individual odds of a given weight falling inside the specific weight range and a given height falling inside the specific height range. Then you would multiply them to get the odds that both conditions are satisfied. But weight and height are correlated. Like the darts and overlapping shapes, if someone's weight lands in the normal range, that person is more likely to have a normal height. Dunn conjectured the following. The probability that both variables will simultaneously fall inside the rectangular region is always greater than or equal to the product of the individual probabilities of each variable falling in its own specified range. If the variables are independent, then the joint probability equals the product of the individual probabilities. But any correlation between the variables causes the joint probability to increase. Royan found that he could generalize the GCI to apply not only to Gaussian distributions of random variables, but also to more general statistical spreads related to the squares of Gaussian distributions. Those are called gamma distributions, which are used in certain statistical tests. Royan says in mathematics, you can often solve a seemingly difficult problem by answering a more general question. Royan represented the amount of correlation between variables in his generalized GCI by a factor we can call c. He defined a new function whose value depends on c. To prove that the GCI is true, Royan needed to show that this function always increases as c increases, and it does if the function's rate of change with respect to c is always positive. His familiarity with gamma distribution sparked his bathroom sink epiphany. He knew he could apply a basic trick to transform his function into a simpler function. Suddenly, he recognized that the derivative of his transformed function was equivalent to the transform of the derivative of the original function. He could easily show that the latter derivative was always positive, proving the GCI. 
Pitt says Royan had the right formulas. That enabled him to pull off his magic. And I didn't have the formulas. I had to prove some sort of differential inequality. And I've never been able to do that. Experts say any graduate student in statistics could follow the arguments. Royan says he hopes the surprisingly simple proof might encourage young students to use their own creativity to find new mathematical theorems, since a high theoretical level isn't always required. Some researchers, however, still want a geometric proof of the GCI, which would help explain strange new facts in convex geometry that are implied by Royan's analytical proof. In particular, Pitt says the GCI defines an interesting relationship between vectors on the surfaces of overlapping convex shapes, which could grow into a new subdomain of convex geometry. He says if someone could see their way through this geometry, we'd understand a class of problems in a way that we just don't today. Statistician Donald Richards says a variation on the inequality could help statisticians better predict the ranges in which variables, like stock prices, fluctuate over time. He says he has conjectured a few inequalities that extend the GCI. He might now try to prove them using Royan's approach. Royan's main interest is in improving the practical computation of the formulas used in many statistical tests. For example, determining whether a drug causes fatigue based on measurements of several variables, such as a patient's reaction time and body sway. He says his extended GCI sharpens these tools of his old trade. Some of his other recent work related to the GCI has contributed further improvements. As for the proof's subdued initial reception, Royan wasn't particularly disappointed or surprised. He says he's used to being ignored by scientists from top-tier German universities. Plus, he says he isn't very good at networking and doesn't need those things anyway. The feeling of deep joy and gratitude that come from finding an important proof has been a reward enough, Royan says. He describes it as a kind of grace. You work for a long time on a problem, and suddenly an angel, or the mysteries of our neurons, brings a good idea. This episode was produced by Jeanette Kazmerzak. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Natalie Wolchover's full article, A Long Sought Proof, Found and Almost Lost, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Thank you.